Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. And there is no greater act of your love for us than your redemption of us from sinful ways. Lord, we thank you that you have sent your Son to die in our place, that he, can, he was condemned on our behalf. He is the substitute for us. Lord, this is a wonderful truth. And Lord, it brings us here this morning so that we can hear more about you and your love for us and how we are to live as your servants. Lord, we pray that you may help us understand what your word has said this morning about how we are to live. And we pray that we may go from here all the more willing to serve as a result of hearing your word preached. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, when we consider love, we often think that love is all about emotions. But we've got to remember that love is also a practical thing. It's how we, uh, the way that we show love to someone is not simply by telling them that we love them or having fuzzy feelings towards them. It's by the way that we behave towards them. And so I regularly tell my son Joshua that I love him. But I need to also show him that I love him. And his favourite way of me showing that I love him is by kick the ball with him. He often, I'll get home and he will say, kick the ball. We have a little passageway up the side of our house, which is perfect. Uh, there's a fence on one side, there's a house on one side. And, uh, and so the ball doesn't really go anywhere other than up and down. Based, and so if you're a poor kicker, it still moves in the right direction. And so that's what Joshua, I think, thinks is how I express love to him, is by kicking the ball with him. Now, in Peter, we've been looking at the passage in 1 Peter chapter 4 for a number of weeks now, and we've been told, before Christmas came along and interrupted with a a brief stopover in Matthew, uh, we were told in verse 8 that we're meant to love one another. In verse 8 it says, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4 on page 1203 of the Black Church Bibles, Above all... Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And so we started to look at what it means to love someone. And we saw that love covering over a multitude of sins means that we forgive one another if we love someone. But how else do we show love to Christians? How else do we show love to other people? Is it that we're supposed to kick the ball with people if we want to express love to them? Or is it only with certain people that we kick a ball uh, to express love? And that's what Peter's going to unpack for us, is other ways that we love God. In verse 8, he tells us to love uh, one another, to love God and love each other. Uh, And then in verse 9, he gives us another way that we can love those around us. And that is what he says in verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And that's the verse I want to look at this morning and unpack as to how we are to love those around us. And that is by practicing hospitality. And so my first main point this morning, which you can see my points on the back of the church bulletin, is practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. If you love people, you will practice hospitality. But what is hospitality? What does it mean to be hospitable? Well, in the first century, which is when Peter is writing to the early Christians, Offering hospitality meant offering people food and housing if they needed it, and maybe even some medical care if they needed it. And that's where we often get the word hospital today as well, is that association with the word hospitality, the provision of medical care for those who need it. And so we've got to be very careful when it comes to the idea of hospitality, that we don't somehow take it out of its context here in the first century and 
bring it to the word hospitality that we have today and think that it means entertaining because we have a whole hospitality industry out there which is really dedicated to fine eating and you aren't necessarily going out and someone's giving you food uh, that you don't pay for. Uh, no, there's a bill that comes at the end of uh, the, the meal when you go to places that are practising hospitality, that are part of the hospitality industry. And so hospitality isn't entertaining. Sometimes we have this idea that uh, we're practising hospitality if we have our friends and family over and give them this sumptuous meal that's really entertaining and we provide lots of stimuli through the meal, entertainment of music and things like that, and maybe uh, have some time afterwards for some sort of entertainment. And that is hospitality. But that's not what hospitality is. That's not what Peter is telling you to do here. In verse 9, have your friends and family over and entertain them. It's not entertaining. It's hospitality that Peter wants you to do. And that means having people over who need the meal sometimes, need a place to stay. Because that's what Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 14, verse 12 to 14. Luke 14, he says, Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbours. Friends, brothers, relatives and rich neighbours, the kind of people that usually invite over. Jesus says, don't do that if you're having a luncheon or a dinner. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Hospitality is providing for those who really need that hospitality. They really need that care. They really need uh, somewhere to stay, somewhere to eat, some food to eat, because otherwise they're going to starve and go without. But do you have to practice hospitality as a Christian? Do you have to do it? Because in verse 9, the, the command there that's come across in the English, offer hospitality, isn't actually in the imperative form in the Greek. It's not actually a command there. It's an adjective there describing what you're supposed to do. But So you could say, oh, well, this isn't necessarily for me. I'm not commanded to do hospitality. But the, the common idea in Greek is that you can often take a, a word uh, imperative form from previous uh, imperatives, previous commands. And so that goes back to basically verse 7, where it said, the end of all things is near. And then it said, therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. And so there were clear commands there, being clear-minded and self-controlled in verse 7, which then that imperative force, that commanding force, follows for what comes after. And so when we were told in verse 8, above all, love each other deeply, that also wasn't an imperative form there. It was a participle, which, of course, then takes on that previous uh, command form in verse 7. And so in verse 9, we are indeed commanded, I would say, uh, from the Greek sense, that we are supposed to offer hospitality as Christians. And then the rest of the Bible confirms this. Other passages do talk about hospitality as well. Romans 12, written by Paul, verse 13, says, practice hospitality. And then the qualification for elders in 1 Timothy and Titus, uh, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 is that they are supposed to be hospitable. It says it twice in those two different letters. Be hospitable. And when you look at the qualifications of elders, they really aren't that different from what you would expect most Christians to be doing as well, apart from the fact that they should be able to teach in a position of authority. The qualifications of not being drunk, not being sexually immoral, having only one wife, those kinds of qualifications... 
They're what you would expect of other Christians. It's not only the elders that are supposed to only have one wife. All Christians are supposed to only have one wife. Of course, if you're a woman, you're not supposed to have a wife. You're supposed to have a husband. But um, yes, uh, the qualifications do carry over to everybody. And it's the same with that command to be hospitable to elders is basically they should be examples of being hospitable so that other people are hospitable as well. And then Hebrews 13.2 talks about being hospitable as well. It says, do not forget to entertain strangers, for so, by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. And a good example of someone entertaining angels, being hospitable to angels without knowing it, uh, although I think he cottoned on eventually, Genesis 18, which we just read, Abraham. He saw three men come up, and what does he do? He runs and says, come in and I'll prepare a meal for you. And this, he's an elderly man at the time, and their language there in Genesis 18, he's hurrying about, he's, he's rushing off to get this, rushing off to get that, telling servants to, to hurry and, and uh, kill the calf so that we can eat it. Uh, he is being hospitable to strangers who turn out to be angels. But who does... Peter wants you to be hospitable too. Who are you supposed to show hospitality to? And that brings me to my second point this morning. We're supposed to show hospitality, but who are we supposed to show it to? My second main point this morning is practice hospitality to one another. Practice hospitality to one another. There's a particular duty for Christians to practice hospitality to the household of faith. He says that there in verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another. Speaking to Christians, talking about, when he says one another, other Christians. Because there's lots of people who need help on the planet. But here, Peter says, make sure you help out those people who are part of the household of faith. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't help strangers, that we can't provide hospitality to those who are in desperate need and are strangers. In fact, that's what Hebrews 13, uh, 2 was talking about, which I just read out, entertaining strangers, helping out strangers. And we're supposed to do it because sometimes it's an angel that you may be uh, practicing hospitality for. And even the Greek word itself, the word for hosp- translated hospitality in your, uh, your English translations here, it actually literally means love uh, strangers. Stranger love is what the word actually means. And so it, would, it does mean that you do show uh, love to strangers. You can practice hospitality to them. But then Peter clarifies that he wants you to be particularly concerned to show hospitality to other Christians by including that next few words to one another. He wants you to particularly have an eye out for those needy Christians that you may come into contact with. Now, why would Peter single out Christians? Doesn't it seem a bit selfish that Christians really uh, have a priority to look out for other Christians? Well, there's a few reasons that I could come up with as to why Christians should be really looking out for other needy Christians. And the first reason is because many Christians are often poor due to persecution. They have housing and they have food and money taken away from them because they are persecuted for being Christians. And that's what was going on in the first century. And we've got to remember that 1 Peter, as I've said it before, is really a letter of encouragement to persecuted Christians. People were losing homes, losing property, losing family who would provide for them because they were Christian, because they were making a stand for Jesus Christ. Jewish homes were kicking out converted Jews and hating them for it. 
And so people were losing inheritances, losing family property and things like that because they were Christians. And so it's then not surprising that Peter would say, offer hospitality to one another. Because you've got desperate Christians around you who really need it. Refugees, Christians who are looking for a home, looking for a meal. And who should be looking out for them? Other Christians, Peter says. Make sure you're ready to offer them hospitality when they're there because they're being persecuted. Also, many Christians are people, another reason why we should practice hospitality, particularly to Christians, is because many Christians are poor. Often Christianity sweeps through areas that are poverty-stricken because it gives people a hope, whereas richer areas often are very hardened to the gospel, are not Christians. And even Paul says in 1 Corinthians, not many of you were rich. Not many of you were rich when he talks about the Corinthian church and then talks about how not many of them were noble and things like that as well. And so often Christians will need care, need hospitality, more so than non-Christians. They need that help because uh, they are often poor. Also, at the time of the first century, uh, hospitality was greatly needed because it was very difficult to get a place to stay if you needed. If you were travelling as a Christian from one area to another place, yes, there were public sort of hotels, but they were notoriously immoral places. They were basically like staying in a brothel sometimes. And would it be appropriate for a travelling Christian who needs a place to stay, to stay in such a place? No. It'd be a horrible place for them to stay in. And maybe even be a place of temptation if they were to stay there. So instead, they needed a place to stay with other Christians. They needed a home where God's name was honoured and where they'd be encouraged. And so Peter says here, offer hospitality to one another, knowing that, that Christians need places like that to stay because the motels that we have today just weren't in existence. Also, a fourth reason why we should practice hospitality for other Christians, why they needed to in the first century, is because Christians were often travelling as teachers. We see that in the book of Acts, apostles going out, prophets and teachers going out with the gospel. And without hospitality, without places to stay, early missionary work would have come to a complete standstill. They needed somewhere to be. And you see that with Jesus, even when he sends out the 72. He sends them out and he says, stay in different places, but if people reject you, then shake the dust off your feet. But they needed places to stay. They weren't to go with a certain sum of money and be able to pay for a motel room and stay in a town. No, they were expecting that someone would be kind to them and pay them while they're there to talk about Jesus. And so we see that happening in the New Testament. We see people putting people up. We see Simon the Tanner providing a place for Simon Peter. We see Paul and his friends lodging at a house of Mason of Cyprus. We see people providing hospitality to those Christians, to those apostles, so that they could then share the gospel in that area. Because if they didn't have somewhere to stay, they wouldn't be staying there long and sharing the gospel. And then finally, another reason why hospitality was needed for one another in, uh, in the early church is because, basically, hospitality was needed for church services to actually happen. We sit here today and we think that there's always been church buildings for churches to meet in. But in the early church, there was no such thing. Yes, they met at the temple, but once you sort of got out of there, that area, and they were scattered, the Jews, 
um, where were you going to meet? And so it was large homes where people opened up their home and let other Christians come in and were hospitable to them so they could meet there and have worship services. If if people hadn't been hospitable in that way, there wouldn't have been much worship at all. And so there is a need for Peter to say here in verse 9, offer hospitality to one another because people need to open up their homes if you're going to have somewhere to worship, if you're going to have church. But that's the first century. So we think, oh, is there a need to practice hospitality today? Yes, we're commanded quite clearly to practice hospitality, but that is Peter just talking to the first century and it doesn't carry through today. Well, yes, there is still a need to practice hospitality today. Many Christians throughout the world are still being made refugees due to persecution. We experience great blessing here in Australia that we don't have homes confiscated because we've met with other Christians. But there are some countries where people are having home, property confiscated because they are Christians and they need a place to stay. They're asylum seekers. They are seeking asylum. And so we should make sure that we in our government, we lobby our government to make sure that such people have a place to stay in Australia, that we admit such people into the country, and then that we also provide for the needs of such people as well. And we do that through the work of... uh, um, Organisations like Barnabas Fund, where they particularly look after those people who are persecuted for the faith. We're showing hospitality to those people by giving money to work that goes on with like people like Barnabas Fund, so that hospitality is shown to those people, that they end up with a place to stay, they end up with food to eat, despite the fact that they've been persecuted for being Christians. And then also the other factor we have to consider in today is that many Christians still are very poor. It's not as though all the Christians today in the world are rich. No, some are desperately poor. And so we need to contribute to their needs, whether they be in our own community or whether they be in other parts of the world. We can contribute to people that are impoverished throughout the world, not necessarily because they're Christian, but simply they live in poverty-stricken areas. And they need hospitality. They need hospitality from us. And we can do that by giving to the work of things like Barnabas Fund. And it was such a wonderful thing that on Christmas Day we had an offer tree. And that didn't go to the work of this church, but it went specifically to the hospitality of people who are in desperate need for food and clothing overseas. And that was administered by Barnabas Fund. We are able to do that. And that is a wonderful show of hospitality from this church, that the church is willing to give up the entire Christmas Day offertory to hospitality for impoverished Christians overseas. Then thirdly, um, another reason we should show hospitality to Christians today is travelling ministers still need support. It's not as though all ministers around the planet, all um, missionaries, apostles, um, uh, well, apostles were in the first century, although that's um, debated by some people. Teachers, uh, pastors still need support. And that, of course, is clearly shown by missionaries going out overseas. They need support from sending churches as they are sent ones to go out overseas and share the gospel. And they need our hospitality. They need cash that basically provides them with a place to stay and food to eat while they share the gospel. Just like in the first century, Paul accept offerings from other churches so that he could go and work in other areas. 
And so that needs to happen today as well. We need to show hospitality in doing that as well. And that includes hospitality in supporting people like me. I'm a travelling minister, really. I mean, I've settled down fairly well here and I hope to stay here for a long time. But I wouldn't be in Dremoyne if I wasn't here to share the gospel as a pastor. I, I, I had no knowledge of Dremoyne before I came here. I, I didn't know where it existed. I hadn't really heard of it. But then I did hear of it and I came here to be the pastor of this church. And so I need hospitality while I stay here. I need people to provide for me. And that is a wonderful thing about this church. You have been very hospitable to me. You provided me with a lovely home uh, that Jill and I enjoy very much. You provide me with a lovely income so that I am able to provide for my family and be able to make sure that there's food on the table and that we can pay the electricity bill and that we can have the lights on and we can cook food and things like that. That is part of your hospitality to me, that you give me an actual home. It's it's a, it's a wonderful privilege, but you need to continue doing that. If I, for some reason, leave here, you need to continue to provide for travelling ministers that will come and work at your church. And then, fourthly, Christians still need meeting places today. They still need meeting places. They still need somewhere to meet. And that means you need to be hospitable to Christians, to other Christians in an area that they have somewhere to stay. And that can mean that you open up your own home and have church there or it can mean that you provide for buildings like this so that we can meet together. Helping with the purchase and maintenance of a building is an act of hospitality. You're providing somewhere for people to meet and making sure that the ongoing costs such as just toilet paper, electricity and other things that normally a house provides for people that meet there are met here at this church might seem like a bit of a waste of money, paying electricity bills and, and having a building, but it is so that you have somewhere to meet. You're being hospitable to others so that they can meet and worship God. And then helping with things like morning tea and church lunches here, that is part of hospitality. You're having people in, you're welcoming, if there's uh, visitors amongst us, they have somewhere to have a cup of tea afterwards. They have a biscuit and get to know people here at the church and find out, and we can find out if they have any needs that we may be able to meet. That's part of hospitality. And so if you are a Christian, you should be contributing to the work of a building like this and the ongoing costs of it, or the alternative is having everybody into your own home. So if you don't like that idea too much, I would encourage you to, uh, to contribute to the ongoing costs of a building because that's what the early Christians were doing. They were having people into their own home for worship, and we have an alternative in that we can have a building like this, and that's part of being hospitable is that you give money so that people have somewhere to meet. And you can also open up your own home in having people over, having somewhere for them to meet as well. So we can have smaller gatherings, you can have Bible studies, you can have different church meetings at your home, and that is a part of hospitality. Having uh, people over from church that you don't normally get much of a chance to speak to on Sundays, have them over into your home, so that you can meet with them and encourage them and support them and find out any needs that they may have. And that's a way of showing hospitality to the people of the church. But you may be saying, oh, but hospitality, it's too costly. And so some churches don't have a building, they don't support a minister, they don't support missionaries because they see how much it affects the bottom line of the budget. And so that brings me to my third main point this morning. Practice hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
That's what it says in verse 9. It says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Practicing hospitality takes time and money. Providing cash to help poor people or support missionaries overseas is costly. Providing money for buildings like that we're in at the moment to do ministry in is costly. Having people into your home is costly in the sense of food, but also your time and cleaning up after they go. And so complaints can be common. People can grumble. Why do we have to always be on morning tea? Why do we have to always bring something for church lunch? I just want to sit back this Sunday and not have and contribute anything. Why do I have to give so much to the church? Why do we have to support so many missionaries? Why do we have to have Joel on such a higher salary than he is? Surely we should cut down a bit there and it wouldn't be as costly to us. And so we grumble, grumble, grumble. But hospitality, we've got to remember, is a sacrifice of giving. And it should be done with a cheerful heart. God loves a cheerful giver. And such grumbling, when you grumble, is a complaint against God and his ordering of things. He's ordered that this is the way the church operates that we provide for one another, we practice hospitality so that we can meet together and supply each other's needs. And so when you grumble, you drive out trust in God that this is the best possible way of doing things and thanksgiving and joy. There's such thanksgiving that comes through practicing hospitality and such joy that comes in providing for the needs of a church and from having people over into your home. There's a great sense of joy that comes in having that. And so you shouldn't grumble about practicing hospitality as we so often like to do. But are there any motivations for not grumbling? Are there any motivations for not grumbling? Well, there's none there in that immediate verse. But if we go a few verses earlier, we do have that. And it brings me to my fourth main point this morning. Practice hospitality because the end of all things is near. See what it says at the beginning of this whole paragraph. The end of all things is near. This theological statement at the front of this whole paragraph, I think, then follows through as an encouragement for everything that comes afterwards. The fact that the end of all things is near is a great motivator for lots of things, including practicing hospitality. Why? Well, firstly, if the end of all things is near, why would you care about your possessions when people are soon going to hell? Why would you want to keep all your cash to yourself, not administer it so that missionaries can go overseas, so that churches can meet together and share the gospel in a community, if it's all going to be destroyed soon, and then people are going to go to hell. If you really understand that, you won't grumble about the costs associated with hospitality, hospitality for people overseas, hospitality for your own community. You won't grumble because you know how much is at stake. The money you hang on to will one day all be destroyed. So why shouldn't you use it to love one another, to love brothers and sisters in Christ? Also, if the end of all things is near, Jesus is soon going to judge you for your acts of hospitality. Jesus judges you whether you have been a hospitable person in this life or not at the judgment. Flip with me to Matthew 25, verse 31. Matthew 25, verse 31. found on page 984. Matthew 25, verse 31 says, When the Son of Man comes, this is Jesus speaking, in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. So Jesus will take his seat. 
And it says in verse 32, All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And verse 37 says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? A logical question. They haven't met Jesus. When did they actually see Jesus and do all these things to him that he says they've done to him? And then it says in verse 40, The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Those acts of hospitality, when you do them for a brother of Jesus, which is all Christian, brother and sister, you do for God. And then there's a stern warning that follows as well, 41. Then he said to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now, Peter was there when Jesus was saying that. And... I think that bears into mind when we look at this paragraph in 1 Peter chapter 4, that the beginning of this whole thing, it says the end of all things is near. Did Peter have in the back of his mind what Jesus said there, that on the last day he will be judging whether you have provided for his people or not? And if you haven't, hell awaits. So if the end of all things is near, then we should be wanting to practice hospitality. And then thirdly, if the end of all things is near, then you're soon going to see God's great hospitality to you. At the moment, God is certainly hospitable to you. He provides your clothing, your food, your houses, everything that you have every day is provided by God. But God's provision for you is soon going to be shown even more clearly at the end of all things. God will provide for you at the judgment, provide with redemption from sin, your greatest need of all. He'll be very hospitable for you. He's provided his son, Jesus Christ, at the cross so that you can go free. And then he provides you with a wonderful home in heaven. You are going to a heavenly home whose builder is God and Jesus is gone there to do what? Prepare a place for you. He's gone there to do hospitality. That's what Jesus is doing there now. He's preparing a place for you. He's being hospitable there in heaven, waiting for you to come when the end of all things comes. One day Christ will throw a lavish meal for you in heaven, the scriptures say, and he will serve you himself. In Luke twelve thirty-five, we read, Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him 
It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve. We'll have them recline at the table and we'll come and wait on them. Who's the waiter in heaven? Jesus. It's incredible to consider. But that fits with what we understand about him being the servant king. He loves to serve. He is a hospitable king. And so we as his people look forward to being provided for for eternity in heaven. And so if you're not a Christian here this morning, I want to encourage you to take God's offer of hospitality. The end of all things is near. You will be judged for your sin. And so I encourage you to take God's hospitality of providing a sacrifice of Jesus and then a wonderful home in heaven. Take it. How? Saying sorry for your sins, repenting of your sins, acknowledging you are a sinner and trusting that Jesus died for you. If you do that... You are in. doesn't matter how often you haven't practiced hospitality when you should have in the past. Those sins of not being hospitable are covered over. And you go to a heavenly home. But if you do that, then you should be someone that's hospitable because you know that God has been so hospitable to you and will be so hospitable to you in heaven. And so if you are someone that's committed your life to Christ, then you should be doing what Peter says here, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Why would you grumble about being hospitable when God has been so hospitable to you and will be so hospitable to you? So do you practice hospitality? Do you provide for other Christians who are desperately poor or persecuted? Do you help support Christian teachers? in Australia or throughout the world as they need support to go out and share the gospel? Do you help support church meetings by financially giving to the ongoing costs of this building that we meet in and having people into your home? It's very easy to have friends and family into your home, people that will invite you back, Jesus says in Luke 12. But do you have people into your home that probably won't invite you back into their home? We need to practice hospitality, not because it saves us, but because the end of all things is near and we know that God is going to be so hospitable to us. Do you practice hospitality? Do you offer hospitality to one another without grumbling? Let us come before our God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we admit that so often we have sinned by not offering hospitality to one another And then when we have offered hospitality to one another, we have grumbled about it afterwards. Lord, we are such sinful creatures. We are so often wanting to hang on to our possessions and keep them to ourselves as though we don't understand that the end of all things is near. Lord, we pray that we may know that the end is coming, that it is soon, and we may want to be generous with what you have blessed us with. We pray that we may care for those who really need our care and we may support ongoing services at this church and throughout the world by our generosity as we look forward to your generosity that you'll display for us at that judgment throne and then for eternity in heaven. Lord, you've been so good to us. Help us to be good to others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.